This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. As federal conservative party members get ready to decide who will be their next leader, there appears to be a growing momentum among voters who are becoming dissatisfied with the governing Trudeau liberals. But with the infighting among the conservative candidates, if an election were held soon after a leader is chosen, would Justin Trudeau be at risk of losing his job as prime minister? Certainly, we know the Jagmeet Singh New Democrats have entered into an agreement to prop up the minority liberals through June 2025, as long as the liberals put through NDP priorities. This was a topic of discussion with the Zoomer squad on Simcoe Day Monday when Bob Comsick was filling in for Libby Snymer. Peter Mugrich is senior editor of Zoomer magazine. Bill Van Gorder is chief policy and chief operating officer at CARP. And David Coletto is CEO and founding partner of Abacus Data and recently conducted a poll on federal politics with a focus on the Trudeau liberals. We completed a survey um, last week. We released it on Saturday, and, and what it really showed was the approval rating of the federal government, how people feel about the prime minister, um, has reached a low that we have not seen since it was first since he was first elected back in 2015. Um, so, as, as an example, when we asked people if you have a positive or negative view of the prime minister, um, his negatives have reached beyond 50 percent in our survey for the first time at 51. And we get a similar number of people who say they disapprove of the job the federal government's doing. So this, is, I think, is a culmination of a number of months of, of people increasingly feeling anxious about the economy, about their cost of living, about rising interest rates. And what I think is a, a sense that this government in Ottawa, where I am right now, is not reacting um, and, and listening and, and empathizing with how people are feeling and putting no real policies in the window. So. You know, as, as we talk about the future of whether Mr. Trudeau is going to be around as the Conservatives are set to pick a new leader, um, in our tracking anyways, this is a real low point for the Liberal Party and, and Mr. Trudeau uh, since 2015. Bill, any thoughts on what you heard or maybe what you've read? Well, it's certainly uh, not a surprise uh, to us. Our members, CARP members across Ontario, in fact, across the country have been showing uh, dissatisfaction with the current government. They think that uh, older Canadians are being ignored by this uh, government, uh, not following through on promises that were made in the last election, reannouncing uh, minimal uh, new things continually. And, uh, and you know, where, where in many areas, uh, older Canadians do vote traditionally, and there are many, many liberal voters, they're starting to wonder about whether or not they're going to change their mind in the next election. So I think this poll is a good reflection of how seniors are feeling across the province, too. Peter. Yeah, it, it's somewhat ironic that the... Um the Conservatives are doing well without a leader. So maybe they should just uh, keep going without a leader because whenever they announce a leader, um, 
they lose an election and they jettison him. So uh, maybe the strategy going forward is to have no leader and uh, and and they can hold their numbers. But um, so basically, but I, but I, put it put it on automatic pilot almost exactly, is what you're saying exactly. Um, but I, but I think to um, you know um, inflation numbers scare a lot of our listeners and a lot of older people on fixed incomes and um, you know they it's very difficult for them to come out from under higher prices. They have to cut, start cutting off um, necessities and they, they can't, they can't sort of uh, ask for raises or, or uh, you know, replenish their, their bank accounts or anything. So, so it, um, inflation has a, has a tremendously negative effect on, on the government of any government. And I think um, the liberals are feeling that right now. I'm just wondering, we've touched on the fact in terms of uh, with the Tories and with the leadership, do you think it's that could either narrow or widen the lead that is depending on who wins? I would, I would hazard a guess to say that Pierre Polyev is going to be the leader of the conservatives after September. Um, I don't think that's a stretch um, given, you know, his strength. What I think it shows is just how deeply frustrated so many people are with, with the Liberals. And having been in power since 2015, the longer they're in power, the longer Mr. Trudeau's the prime minister and the leader of the party, it's going to be harder to get people to see um, them in a positive light. So whoever becomes conservative leader is going to have a much easier job at winning the next election than Mr. O'Toole or Mr. Scheer would have had because time, time you know, brings governments down. And it's just the, the natural uh, flow of of politics these days. Bob Comsick in conversation on Simcoe Day Monday with Peter Mugridge, senior editor at Zoomer magazine, Bill Van Gorder, chief policy and chief operating officer at CARP, and David Coletto, CEO of Abacus Data. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. For months now, Canadians have been grappling with near record high inflation that has been affecting the price of key goods we rely on, like groceries and gas. But what's entered into the equation is a phenomenon known as greedflation, which is seeing some big business owners charging more than what is reasonable, even during this time of nearly 40-year high inflation. Bob spoke with Samantha Taylor about greedflation. She is a senior instructor for the Rowe School of Business, Faculty of Management, and School of Graduate Studies at Dalhousie University in Halifax. We are definitely seeing a lot of news stories about greedflation, and we're hearing from Canadians out there that over two-thirds of Canadians uh, feel like there is uh, greedflation in uh, certain certain um, aspects of the economy. And really, I think firsthand experience, um, we're seeing it in a lot of places. We're seeing it if we're trying to book a hotel room. We're seeing it if we're trying to rent a car. We're seeing it at the grocery store, or we feel at least like we're seeing it in the grocery store. Uh, so it really is an aspect that, you know, is, is everywhere. We're feeling it. And feeling helpless at the same time as we look at it, shake our heads or drop our jaw or raise our eyebrows when we are uh, see something, told something, read something, right? Absolutely. And there is a distinction, though, that we need to understand. Um, we as consumers, we see higher prices. Uh, so we see higher prices for hotel rooms, or we see higher prices for uh, rental vehicles, or we see higher prices at the grocery store. But what we don't necessarily see are the cost of those of those prices, the cost to the businesses. 
you know, if we see an increase to the price of a restaurant item, we don't see what's happening to that small business owner and their food prices um, on the other side. So it really is a story that is nuanced. And we really do need to take careful consideration before saying, you know, we see higher prices, therefore there is greedflation. So it really does lead to a conversation um, about what is greedflation, how much, pro- like how much profits, how much increase due to inflation can companies make, and does it vary from company to company? And my suggestion would be we need to look at each instance and ask those questions. So mm-hmm. I think the, the nuance and the distinction when talking about greedflation is, you know, a few different things. Um, greedflation, if it's defined as a business taking advantage of the inflationary times to charge in excess of what's reasonable, um, then we really need to look sector to sector um, and then look at the business's cost. And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into the business's costs um, that we may or may not be able to see. Um, so some businesses are easier than others. But there really is inconclusive evidence um, at this time to support whether or not greedflation exists um, at the grocery stores or not. Um, something where, you know, maybe the, the volatility of the cost for businesses is a little bit less um, Timely, perhaps, would be things like, you know, rental car companies or hotels. You know, we're not seeing the main costs for hotels, um, you know, increasing or spiking or doubling overnight. So why would the cost to rent a hotel room, you know, possibly double um, and what we're seeing kind of consumers saying up there, um, relatively speaking, overnight? And why would it cost, you know, from $50 a day for a rental car to over $150 a day? Um, when, you know, as a consumer, we're responsible for putting in that petrol. We're responsible for, uh, you know, providing that incidental insurance. So some of those, um, you know, prices that we're seeing as consumers, when the costs are a little bit more uh, transparent, that really leads us to, to wonder, okay, in these industries, is there, is there greedflation? And, you know, why, you know, what can we do as consumers to kind of take back our power and perhaps look to substitutes or, you know, at the very least, keep this in mind, you know, as, as in, uh, the interest rates go up and as there's, you know, possibly, you know, less and less discretionary income, um, you know, consumers will have that buying power back relative to, uh, relative to the market and consumers will, you know, have that shift of power. But right now, Consumers are willing to pay those higher prices for luxury items such as hotel rooms um, or, you know, possibly like rental cars. And, you know, businesses are able to charge what they're charging. Samantha Taylor, Senior Instructor for the Rose School of Business, Faculty of Management and School of Graduate Studies at Dalhousie University in Halifax. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, is the staffing crunch in Ontario hospitals a crisis? We will discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. 
Welcome back. There is growing concern over the developing crisis in hospital emergency rooms in this province. On Tuesday, news broke on the morning Zoom with Sam and Jane here on Zoomer Radio when Catherine Hoy of the Ontario Nurses Association revealed that the number of hospitals in Ontario with partial or full ER or ICU closures had jumped to 25 over the long weekend due to what she calls severe staffing shortages. Later that same day, the new health minister, Sylvia Jones, gave a number of interviews after weeks of publicly staying quiet on this important issue. Prior to this, Libby was joined by our Recovering Politicians panel to talk about what Sylvia Jones and the governing PC should be doing about a growing number of closed ERs and full-capacity ICUs. Sherry DeNovo is a former Ontario NDP MPP. Charles Souza is a former Ontario Liberal Finance Minister. And Lisa Raitt is a former Federal Conservative Deputy Leader. What is she going to say if she comes out, quite frankly? I mean, I understand that we want to hold people accountable, and you absolutely should. But the minister has limited powers in what she can do in the short term, other than set up a a task force to look into it or appoint somebody to come out and look into it. Hiring take a long period of time, as we all know. And, you know, there's a lot of CEOs of hospitals out there I'd like to hear from, quite frankly, how are you managing your hospitals? We're only hearing from, from the nurses union ringing the alarm bell. What do the Ontario hospital presidents have to say about it? And the board members, what do the board members have to say about it? You know, you don't go from nursing all the way to the Department of Health and the Minister of Health in terms of looking for solutions to an obviously extremely problematic issue. And I can tell you that I'm frustrated personally as you guys know, my husband's in long-term care, and there was, uh, there was an evening this week when there was no nurse that could come in for an evening shift at, on my husband's floor, which meant the patients couldn't get their medications. How crazy is that? So, yeah, there is an urgency here, but talking about whether or not Sylvia Jones is available isn't the only issue. The issue is everybody in this chain has to wake up and snap out of it and start moving together. Uh, Charles Souza, uh, does this have anything to do with the fact that uh, the contract negotiations uh, are coming right up this month if they haven't already started? Yeah, I would say that's very much the case. And Sylvia probably doesn't want to implicate herself by saying things untoward. And they're in the sensitive time of in, into those contract negotiations. The nurses union are up. You know, they're, they're rightly upset as to what's happening with Bill 124, wage freezes. They're concerned about long hours, staffing shortages, the poor working conditions, redeployment of people. There's a lot of requests for greater solutions. You know, I mean, they're asking for, they're not really asking for internationally trained nurses to be expedited more quickly. They want their, their own existing members to be, to get more incentives and they want better recruitment. But all that to say, and I think, uh, and Lisa brings up a good point, there, there's a lot of people in part, in, 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 you know, involved in this uh, issue in terms of, you know, improving hospital care, improving the wait times. I mean, it's bad enough during peak periods when it was just a flu, but we have these long weekends that just happened. We are at a critical point. Emergency rooms and intensive care units are under stress. There's a long-term problem here that has to be resolved, and it's not just funding from the feds. 
They have to do a better delivery. Something has to happen in a much better improved way. Sylvia Jones knows all that's going to come at her quickly. And she wants to be mindful, I suspect, of how, how she now communicates it going forward. Okay, well, I mean, that's her side of it. But I'm wondering, are nurses more likely to be taking action now that their contract talks are underway? Sherry? First of all, in Ontario, we spend less per capita per patient than any other province. Uh, Bill 124, which you heard in the news, caps nurses' salaries essentially at less than inflation. So actually, they're taking a drop in income. And these are, you know, predominantly women who have worked, uh, some of them 16-hour shifts we're hearing all during COVID. Thousands of healthcare workers, not just nurses, EMT, long-term care are off with COVID and have been. Um, they've been risking their lives and their families' lives for us. Uh, and um, they've, they get the cold shoulder from this government. I mean, this government has not stepped up, not even spoken to them. We have nurses leaving. Um, they're burnt out. And who can blame them? ERs are closing. I mean, 13 closures of ER departments in July, 20 closures of acute care in just this last weekend. Again, if you're taking your loved one, if your loved one's in long-term care, and many of my congregants are, um, or if you are visiting someone or somebody has a crisis, um, this is what they're looking at, and this is not okay. Sherry DeNovo is a former Ontario NDP MPP. Charles Souza is a former Ontario Liberal Finance Minister. And Lisa Raitt is a former Federal Conservative Deputy Leader. They spoke with Libby on Tuesday prior to various appearances by Ontario Health Minister Sylvia Jones, who reassured Ontario residents she and Ontario Health are working on the problem to address staffing shortages in hospitals. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Justice has been delivered. With those words, U.S. President Joe Biden announced on Monday evening Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawari had been killed in a U.S. drone attack in Kabul, Afghanistan. None of the terror kingpin's family was harmed in the attack. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the world is a safer place because of this assassination. Is it? Libby spoke about the development with Phil Gursky, president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, and a former senior strategic terrorism analyst at CSIS, along with Dr. Janice Stein, founding director of the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. I was surprised by the news, Libby, only in the sense that um, when something like this happens, under what conditions it happens, is a surprise. Was I surprised that he was very high up on the target list? No. Is the world a safer place? The evidence, I think, is compelling that over the years, leaders are replaced. There was a period of competition inside the organization. Sometimes it splinters, but taking out what is called a high-value target in plain English, a prominent intellectual leader of this organization does not mean the end of the organization. And uh, uh, Phil, what about the organization? I mean, uh, Al-Qaeda, I mean, he was kind of under the radar, uh, from my understanding, whatever 
cells were operating were doing so independently of the leadership? Yes and no. And I would agree with Janice Libby. I mean, um, you know, I've always said a dead terrorist is a good terrorist. I have no problems with that. Um, but, you know, as Janice said, this doesn't mean the end of Al-Qaeda any more than the killing of bin Laden back in 2011 meant the end of Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda has been there for the better part of 30, 40 years now. It may not be at the top of the list in terms of people's minds as much as it was during 9-11. But, you know, they're still active in Afghanistan now that the Taliban are in power. And by the way, Libby, the Taliban have a lot to answer for, for al-Zawahiri being found in the capital city under their property protection. But, you know, they're strong in Afghanistan. They've got affiliates across the world. We've got affiliates in Africa that are carrying out terrorist attacks on a daily basis. So, no, I, I don't think this necessarily debilitates the organization. I always thought that, that El-Zawakhiri didn't, couldn't hold a match to bin Laden in terms of personality, in terms of charisma. But the fact that he's dead is good. But, no, I, I think we should really check our analyses and not say that the, you know, the, the gig is up now that uh, El-Zawakhiri has been killed. As Janice said, there's someone waiting in the wings. There'll be a bit of a competition. Will he be as good as El-Zawakhiri, as good as bin Laden? Time will tell. But the organization is still very vibrant and still very capable of carrying out terrorism around the world. Okay, speaking of the Taliban, uh, it's it's been reported that this violated an agreement that the Americans had with the Taliban. But but who who relies on agreements with the Taliban, Janice? Well, actually, <laughs> um, you know, we we don't negotiate with our friends, uh, Libby. We negotiate with our adversaries and. As long as it's their interest to do so, um, they, they honor agreements. What's interesting about this story, uh, is that he apparently, Dawahari, who played a leading intellectual role, um, in, in Al Qaeda far more than bin Laden did. He was a, a charismatic leader, but he was also a, an operator, uh, somebody who had executive responsibilities. He is in Afghanistan, apparently, through the Al-Haqqani Network. The Al-Haqqani Network has, at times, been deeply at odds with the Taliban, in fact, fought the Taliban, then stitched themselves back in. So what we're really seeing here, from everything we know, uh, is that it is a, a faction of the Taliban, which has had independent existence as well, that play host. Uh, to sell here. So I think we have to be careful here, uh, to say that we're going to hold the Taliban accountable, uh, for this. We walked down this road before and we didn't walk it very successfully. The Taliban are there. Uh, they took over in, in a heartbeat when the Americans left last August. They're going to be there for a while. Yes, we have to deal with them, but I wouldn't, you know, take the word of a Taliban official, you know, further like a throw it kind of thing. I think they've shown their true colors. They've closed girls' schools again. They're firing women from jobs. The Taliban is not Taliban 2.0, Libby. The Taliban is Taliban 1.0, and they've been there for 35 years. Phil Gursky, president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, and Dr. Janice Stein, founding director of the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. They were in conversation with Libby on Tuesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back. 
with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Ron in Guelph phoned about the ongoing conservative leadership race. The bottom line is, I think I've said it before, and Patrick Brown, uh, Pauly can win the conservative nomination. But the point is, can he actually win enough voters across the country? Yes, Alberta, Saskatchewan, but um, actually in Quebec, um, in the urban centers of Ontario and B.C., I think um, my brilliant son said it best, you know, who's best placed is the NDP could come up um, alongside the Liberals in the next federal election. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Ray in Etobicoke, who phoned about he, as an older Canadian, feels ignored by the Trudeau Liberals. I've uh, had a, a problem that uh, the current government, I tried to bring it up with my MP, got no response, and also uh, the Minister of Finance. That's on mandatory withdrawals from your RIF. And uh, that increases my income tax. The first year I had to do that, my taxes went up $10,000. And I continue to get this. Uh, the money sits in a checking account getting zero interest. And I've asked them to make it so that I decide when to withdraw money and take it when I need it. And uh, no response. The prime minister that uh, pushed on this years ago a different prime minister, he said to the seniors, look after yourself in your old age. So the banks, which already had RRSPs, they jumped on the bandwagon. Oh, yeah, you know, contribute and you'll be able to and retire and move uh, to easy, be all on easy street. I, I never made it to easy street. I'm still in the same old place. <laughs> That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.